God, I pray that everything I say this morning won't just be the words I've prepared. God, it really will not just come from my heart, but it will come from yours to um, all of us here, that this can be family time. God, again, like every week, I pray that if there's hindrances to us hearing, those would be taken away. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So when I was 11 years old, I started playing peewee baseball, and um, I was kind of a a nervous 11-year-old. I was very skinny. I was not very big, and I was what someone would call a cute 11-year-old, which means you're awkward. Um, You know, if you're cute as a 4-year-old, that means you're handsome, but if you're 11 years old and cute, that means you've got something out of place. (laughs) And for me, I had these massive glasses that just hung on my face, which made baseball very interesting. I tried playing catcher once. I tried ripping off the mask, and just my whole face went with it because I had my glasses on. And, uh, and anyway, so I started playing at 11. Uh, if you start playing earlier, you, usually you start developing skills that are associated with baseball, like... <laughs> like hitting the ball and catching the ball. And, and so I had to learn all that uh, when I was 11 years old. But I was a, I was a fairly quick learner. Um, but I remember, uh, uh, you know, the first time you get up to bat, and if you've played baseball, this is probably a story that's familiar with you. You get up to bat for the first time, and, uh, and you're just swinging, right? And so I remember... The ball would come flying, and you literally, this is first time, right? And people are throwing hard objects at you. <laughs> and so you just kind of close your eyes. And, and, and when you connect with that ball finally, it is wonderful, but you don't exactly know what to do because it's so wonderful that you hit the ball. So, so I remember this experience, right? You, you hit the ball, and you, you are just as amazed as everyone else is. And I, I wasn't a home run hitter. I was, I was more of a line drive grounder hitter. But you connect with the ball, and then you look at the ball. <laughs> it's like the ball did what it was supposed to. And then, uh, and then all of a sudden, the stands erupt, going, run! <laughs> run, right? Because they're, they're like, they're, everyone's coaching you at this point. They're like, go for it. And so you throw your bat down, and you run, right? And, and thankfully, in peewee, they're terrible at throwing, so they usually throw over the first baseman, and you get to go to second. So all that being said, there's a point to the story, is, is when we get done with Easter, we're like that little boy who has just hit the ball, and we're like, success, right? I knew this was supposed to happen like this. I lived for this. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, what happens next? Right? It's this surprise, this awe, this amazement. Right? Everything that Jesus talked about, everything that he discipled the, his followers to do, um, now it's go time. He's, he's died, he's risen. And, and so what happens next? And and. The point of the next several weeks is really to, with you guys, walk through what the resurrection means. 
Because uh, I'm a pastor now. I've grown up going to church. But I find myself, like that little boy sometimes, like celebrating something and going, well, what happens next? Does that make sense? So what happens next in this story? Um, (laughs) I find with this dilemma... uh, that sometimes in our church, or in our churches, we, we major on the crucifixion and what happens there. But we don't always know what to do with the resurrection. And what that means for us is, um, is we see sin as being something terrible, which it is. And sin not being little things that God's nitpicking at. Sin being this thing which means we're separated from him. That we were meant to be in relationship with him, but we are separated from him. And so, in the death of Jesus, we see, we see that separation being taken care of. And then we're like, whew, yeah, like that, I'm glad that's over with. But, but then after that, there's a life that's meant to be lived. And that's so important that if you, if you read the New Testament, it's just full of it, Right? In in 1 Corinthians 15, it actually says that if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we are to be more pitied than all other people, right? It says, if Christ had not been raised from the dead, our preaching is useless and your faith is vain. So if you are just living in the crucifixion, if you're like, sweet, he died, my sin's gone, and and then... you don't do anything with that. If you don't live in the resurrection, literally, this is what it says. You're an idiot. Right? That's, that's strong, but that's what it's saying. Your faith is in vain. It's useless because it wasn't just Jesus dying, but the, the power is in being resurrected, right? Being raised to new life because we know the finality of death, right? We, we know that if we've had somebody close to us die or um, that death has this crushing blow to it. But, but that didn't stop Jesus. Jesus rose from the dead. And so what, what does that mean for us? Well, um, to catch us up to speed before we jump into Acts 2, which we'll, we'll be there today, um, Jesus started directing his disciples after they had... Um, after he rose from the dead and he spent time with them. And literally, this is what he says. He says, uh, go to Jerusalem and wait. And I'm going to send my Holy Spirit, and then you're going to go out and you're going to preach this message to the whole world. Right? You're going to go in the whole world and make disciples. Um, <laughs> the challenging thing about this is, is that's like step one, right? And, and for them, I'm sure, they were at the point where they were like, okay, I need, like, like once I get to first base, I kind of want to know how to run the rest of them. But, but they, get, they get to Jerusalem, and he just says, wait there, right? And so that's where we're going to pick up. We have 120 um, followers of Jesus. And, and if you want the picture here, you have 120 people that believe Jesus rose from the dead, and they're gathering together. And then you have a whole world that's not privy to this information, <laughs> there's a lot stacked against them, right? And so you have 120 of them believe this, and they're just waiting and trusting. There isn't like, and then in two weeks' time, I'll send word again. It isn't, it's just wait. 
And so they wait there, they pray, it says they're of one heart and mind, they're dedicated, they're together. And then God shows up, and that's where we're going to drop in in Acts 2, if you have a Bible. I'm going to read um, the first sermon ever preached in the life of the early church. So you get to hear it from Peter, and then you hear it from me. <clears throat> So what happens, they're all praying together, and the Holy Spirit shows up. So the power of God shows up, and they go into the streets, and they start preaching. And <laughs> the Bible shows these really fun details. So they're really excited, and they're so excited that people think they're drunk. Um, which, if you're reading the Bible, you're like, okay, and they're drunk. right? And you try to make that holy, but it, it's, they're not drunk, they're just really excited. Right? And, uh, and so it gives you the sense that this is, something wild's going on. Right? <clears throat> Are you guys with me? Amen. Like, this is, this is crazy. So, so people think they're irrational at this point. And so they come out, and then you have Peter, he starts preaching. And this is what he says. We're just going to pick up in verse 22, Acts 2, verse 22. And he says, men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried in his tomb. And he is there to this day, but he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into heaven, yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. So there's three things I I want to walk us through um, Essentially what Peter's doing here is he's reintroducing people to Jesus. Um, the first thing we're going to look at is, uh, is Peter's reintroducing them by, by actually showing them who Jesus is. So they have, they have in some capacity known Jesus. Um, probably their most intimate knowledge of Jesus, it says, was when they crucified him. Um, and so now, now Peter comes and he preaches a message that, uh, that is this. It is 
absolutely, 100% all about Jesus. Absolutely all about there Over 20 times in this short sermon, he either says Jesus or he's referring to Jesus. Okay, And, and for us who uh, have had the New Testament, that might seem ordinary to us because literally I did this like test earlier this morning. I was like, I wonder if I can open a page of the New Testament without seeing the word Jesus. So I'd flip. I was like, oh, there it is. Right? Flip to another one. Oh, there it is. Right? So, so the New Testament is about Jesus, and that, that seems ordinary and familiar to us, but when Peter starts proclaiming Jesus to these people, this is an absolutely new concept for them. That they don't need to be people that are focused on a fulfillment of the law, but now they're focused on a person. Okay? Like, and that's huge. So instead of saying, I'm going to interpret the law for you, he's just saying, I want to introduce to you who Jesus is. And this Jesus that he introduces to them is a Jesus that is incredibly powerful. So they've seen Jesus who they could kill, and now he says, I'm introducing you to Jesus who you can't kill, but could kill you, essentially. Right? I mean, the end it says he makes your enemies a footstool. Right? They're, they're under his feet. Right? And so they've seen Jesus who, and, and Peter doesn't even give them credit. He's like, he, the reason why you crucified him is because he got handed over to you by God. Okay, so, so they're seeing Jesus in a new light. Literally, he goes through and he says he's accredited by God. So this person who's Jesus, God himself, God himself is testifying for and about. It says it's impossible for death to hold on to them. He was raised to life. He's exalted to the right hand of God. All his enemies are made a footstool. And it says God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. So context here is this. Context is, a little over 50 days ago, maybe 50 days ago, they had killed this man. Okay? And now, they have someone who's saying, this man is risen from the dead and has all authority on heaven and earth. He has power and dominion over all things. So I want you to put yourselves in their shoes. Imagine you've killed somebody and now they have all the power in the world. Okay? And, and that's, uh, that's terrifying. Right? It's like, it's like you picked on someone in high school and then you realize that they spent the next 20 years bodybuilding. But it's less than that. It's not even that crazy. But compared to J- Jesus who is God, all of a sudden you realize what you've done. And this is what Peter is proclaiming to them. But even more so, this is what's important, that that Jesus has the ability to do all the crazy things he said he could do. Right? That all the things that Jesus has talked about all along, that they said you can't do. So as Jesus went through his ministry, he said things like, your sins are forgiven. 
said things like, like, in me is life. And all those things that they mocked him for, and, and when I say mockery, when he was getting put to death by them, if you remember as we talked last week about, um, they said to Jesus, you saved others, but you can't save yourself. Right? You saved others, but you can't even save yourself. And all of a sudden, they see Jesus who they mocked and said, you can't save anybody because you can't even save yourself. All of a sudden, exalted to all power. (laughs) And so the crazy things he talked about, all of a sudden, he has the power to do those things. And so my guess is, my guess is their mind's racing. What did he say? Hopefully there's some mercy in there. So the first thing is, right, they get to see Jesus for who he is. And the second thing is this. They get to understand Jesus for what he has been offering all along. Because all along, he was somebody that they could push around. They could mock. They could make fun of. You're from Nazareth. You're from Gorst. You're from Spanaway, right? You're from Rainier Beach, right? You're from these places that we can just dis disregard you. You're from the wrong side of the tracks, Jesus. You can't save anybody. And sure, they can push him around, but all of a sudden, you have these people saying, he is God. And then all of a sudden, you're like, well, what did he say? Because if he is God, he can make those things happen. And this is what he says. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. He says, I am the bread of life. He says, I am the gate, and whoever enters through me will be saved. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. Right? And they can push Jesus away. You're from the wrong side of the tracks. You can't make anything happen. But all of a sudden, you have Jesus exalted to the right hand of the Father, and he, you bet this is true. No man comes to the Father. No man comes in a relationship with God except through me. When Jesus says, I've not come to abolish the law, but I've come to fulfill the law, They've met someone who is fulfilling the law. If Jesus stayed buried and dead, what they they said about him could have been true. You, You couldn't save anybody. But now that Jesus is risen, what he said was true. What we learn here is this. Um, and this comes with a partial confession. Uh, I've never been one to enjoy it when people say, say uh, I'm not about religion, I'm about, you know, I just love Jesus. And, and that, like, never really made sense to me, which is weird. It should make sense to me. Um, but as I studied this, it started making sense to me. Um, you know, they were like, I'm not about religion, I'm just, I love Jesus. I thought, well, potato, potato, right? It's kind of the same thing. But, but it is not the same thing at all. Because, and I'll show you it in this way. That, that when Jesus was going through his ministry on earth, he had a lot of interactions with people, but two I'm, I'm going to talk about specifically. One is with a guy named Zacchaeus, and the other one's unnamed. He's just called the rich young man. So the rich young man comes to Jesus, and he says, he says what must I do to inherit eternal life? And his, his whole goal is just tell me what I can do, and I'm going to go away, and I can do that. And so Jesus says, sell everything you have, come follow me. 
And the man goes away sad because he can't do that. Um, and this is, this is what Jesus says. He goes, it is, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's impossible. Next, we get a story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is, inc- is incredibly wealthy, right? That he's hated because he's so wealthy because he's taking more taxes than he should. And so Zacchaeus comes to just watch Jesus talk, and Jesus looks up at him, and he says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to go to your home. So he comes to Zacchaeus' home, and, and spending time with Jesus changes Zacchaeus. And so Zacchaeus goes, I'm going to give away half my wealth, and if I've taken, if, I, if I've extorted money from people, I'm going to give back more than what I've taken from them. And this is what Jesus says. He says, today salvation has come to this home. Today, Jesus has come to this home. And so, what we saw in the rich young man story, it's impossible for a rich, young man, for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, Zacchaeus is rich. He's rich beyond any of our wildest dreams. And yet, salvation comes to his own. Why? Because it's not about what he could do for God, but because when Jesus showed up to his home, he spent time with Jesus. He was just transformed. You can't do it yourself. It's about relationships. It's not about religion because a religion is, what can I do, Jesus? I'm going to go away and do it. And then I'm going to come back and report to you and go, look, I'm awesome. <laughs> look, we're kind of buds. You do cool things, I do cool things. But that's not the way it works. We come, we spend time with Jesus, we're transformed by Jesus, and then we start acting in generosity, and we're transformed into his image. So it's impossible, but it's possible. Why? Because it's not religion, but it's relationship with him. And so, how does this play into death and resurrection? The way this plays into death and resurrection is this, that when Jesus died, he didn't just die by himself, but it says he took you with him. Right? The death he died, he died for you. And the life he lives, he lives taking you along with him. Right? The, the place, and this is what's so cool, is when we learn who Jesus is, that he sits at the right hand of the throne of God and has all power. Right? That that wasn't a place that he was working for. Right? In Philippians, it says he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing taking on the very nature of a servant. And then the very end of that, he says, so at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So Jesus wasn't trying like to prove his godhood. He was God. That was his identity. And so when he died and rose from the dead, he did that for you. He wasn't, he wasn't gaining personally, right? It's not like he got to the next level, right? When he died... It was purely, purely because you have issues. Amen. Amen. Yeah, okay. And and I have issues, right? And and they need to be taken care of. And so when we see Jesus and we can poke fun at him in the Gospels and be like, yeah, you're just going around saying nice things. All of a sudden he dies, he rises from the dead. We realize that all those things he says were with the authority of God. And he's going, I've gone to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many rooms. And all of a sudden, those things we realize are incredibly true in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So if you're a person who just lives in the death of Jesus, you keep talking about sin. 
You're just going to keep talking about it. Oh, Jesus took care of sin. Jesus took care of sin. He did, but he also arose from the dead, which gave you new life. Okay? In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, and this is a verse we love here, it says, that God made him who knew no sin, who knew no separation from God, to be sin, to experience separation, that in him we can be the righteousness of God. So we can be restored into full relationship with him. So we move from rejected to accepted because of the resurrection of Jesus. That's good. So, what do we do? Well, that's what the people in Acts 2 wanted to know. In Acts 2.37, it says, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off and for all whom the Lord our God will call. I love the generosity of this. It's like, for all, right? So what's the response? The response is this. We can't pretend that just because Jesus did that, that all of a sudden we're, we're good to go. We need to be participants in that, and he welcomes us into that. And he welcomes us into that by two things, repentance and baptism. And I think, I think the people in this story maybe get it a little more inherently than we do. The people in this story had just killed the man. And so when they said, I'm sorry, maybe they had a lot more on their conscience. But for us, what does that look like? If, if you've just... <laughs> been living as if Jesus is an option and you haven't seen him as a resurrected Lord, the way, the truth, life, no one comes to the Father but through him. And all of a sudden you see him as God. Someone who every single page you flip in your New Testament is speaking about, trying to get the message out, trying to make it clear. If you want to know what the message in the New Testament is, it's Jesus. <laughs> right? And it's about a relationship with him. And then we realize that we can't just line up and be like, hey, Jesus, so good to meet you. Because, because we bring a lot of crap with us. And so repentance and baptism are really, really good because <laughs> it's the route to healing so what's our response? Our response is this, is we come to repent. We come and we honestly stand before God. And we let him know, God, I see you as mighty, and I see what you've done, and I've seen your love, but I do not know what I'm doing. Being a Christian, we, we've talked about this, it's not about figuring it out. Disciple, being a disciple means learner. And, and I cling to that. I cling to that after how many years, 20-some years of being a Christian, 
And I, I cling to the fact that as a Christian, I'm a disciple of Jesus, which means I've put my trust in the one who loved me and gave himself for me to renew me into relationship with the Father. But I'm learning all along the way. So when we repent, we just say, God, I ask you the things that have been separating me from you. That might just be something I said last night or even thought last night. God, I I ask you to take those things and forgive those things and restore me into relationship with you. And then the baptism part's so cool because it's this confirmation. Literally, and this is what it says in, in Romans 6, is that when baptism, we see ourselves as being buried with Christ and raised with Christ. Right? And so he says, come be baptized because you're going you're gonna to visibly, so everyone around can see that your life is now hidden with Christ. So when people try bringing up those things that you have done, right? oh, I remember when you said this back in high school. You're like, that's the old man. That's the old woman. right? That's, that's the old me. Because, because the resurrection of Jesus means that those things aren't just done away with, but I have a new life in him. And that's, that's incredible hope. So, let's live in the resurrection of Jesus. Don't just talk about sin, but talk about life, because God is invested in your life. He's not invested in just death, right? Because that was done with Jesus, and we're going to be talking about that more in the upcoming weeks. But our response should be, and I encourage you to do this if you've never done this before, spend time with God, approaching him. Ask for repentance if you've never done that before. Find healing because because the death and resurrection of Jesus shows that God is not just about picking at what we've done wrong, but he's the one actively creating a way for us to be back in relationship with him. That's mind-blowing, right? So for all you who've lived under condemnation, that's not God. God is actively seeking your restoration to him, and that's what the resurrection means. And that's what we worship. So pray with me, and we'll worship some more. God, thank you for this sermon by Peter. Uh, Peter and the other disciples who are just, they just got power to go out and preach and all they can talk about is Jesus because they have a relationship with him. They have a relationship with God now and they, they want to learn how to communicate that. And God, I think, I think some of us are learning just to hear that. And I pray that as you speak that, whether it's a question that comes out of our mouth or what comes out of our mouth is just, God, forgive us because we haven't known what we're doing. I ask that all those who leave here today will hear your voice and they'll know that they can have a relationship with you unhindered because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. We love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.